Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The latest from 7 News with Michael Usher. Good evening and welcome. Tonight, campaign mode activated. Scott Morrison on tour as election speculation mounts. New doubt over whether Cleo Smith's alleged abductor had help. We'll have more from Carnarvon. No jab, no play. What will happen to dozens of NRL players refusing COVID vaccines? And quitting the crown, why a former friend of Princess Di has abandoned the Netflix series. But first, a manhunt's underway in Melbourne right now for two men involved in a hit and run which killed a road worker and left his colleague fighting for life. The driver of a speeding car fleeing the scene, helped by an accomplice in making that getaway. Let's go to our reporter, Estelle Griepink in Melbourne now. Estelle, good evening to you. Do police know exactly who they're looking for? Good evening, Michael. They certainly do, and that is thanks to a quick-thinking witness who took a photo of the wanted man. This is after he fled the scene of that hit run, but before he got into a getaway car, he was wearing a black hoodie and had blood on his nose. Police believe he would have visible facial injuries tonight. But they're not just looking for that man, but also the person who picked him up and took him away from the scene. That person was driving a black SUV, and police say when they tried to later intercept it, that car drove straight at them. This all happened after two road workers were hit this morning as they were putting out safety cones on the road in Caram Downs. Tragically, one of those workers was killed at the scene and the other was left with critical injuries. But the man behind the wheel didn't go and assist them. Rather, he saw them, looked at them calmly, and then police say he just walked off before he was picked up just a few streets away by that friend. Let's take a listen now to what police have had to say about what this man did. It's just a callous cold act. It's the act of a coward. The person who's come to assist the driver uh, is just as bad of... Uh, they've assisted in getting away from this incident in the first place and then to drive at police members and put other road users, not just the police, but everybody out on the road. It's just unacceptable behaviour. And Michael, as for that road worker, he is tonight in hospital. He had critical injuries, but at least now he is in a stable condition. This is an awful time for all of the colleagues from that traffic management company. They are praying that this colleague gets better and recovers, but they're also mourning the untimely death of their other colleague from this morning. All right, I'm still grieving in Melbourne. Thank you. Western Australia police have denied reports they're looking for an accomplice in the abduction of Cleo Smith. Our reporter Jacqueline Robson joins us from Carnarvon now with more. Jacqueline, good evening to you. There, there were reports of a woman who was possibly involved. Michael, the report suggested that a woman had helped care for Cleo, helped dress her and brush her hair during her 18-day ordeal, a possible accomplice to accused kidnapper Terence Kelly. But investigators say that's false. The lead detective on the ground here in Carnarvon dispelled those rumours while visiting the home where he first rescued little Cleo now one week ago. It's the first time Detective Senior Sergeant entered the Tonkin Crescent home uh, since that early morning raid now 
one week ago. There was particular attention paid to the Mazda in the front yard, a Mazda that was gifted to Terence Kelly by his late grandmother. Forensics have now wrapped up their investigation at the home uh, while they've, after they've sprayed a particular substance across it to help bring up further evidence. It's likely they'll be back there at the end of the week. Michael? And Jacqueline, police uh, still missing some information in this case. Yes, I'd like to hear from anyone who had any kind of contact with Terence Kelly during that 18-day window, any kind of interaction or call with him. Little four-year-old Cleo, well, she paid a visit to the Carnarvon Police Station with her family today. They left with a bunch of boxes. Some of it appeared to be items which police may have been interested in when she first went missing, but there also appeared to be some gifts in there too. She was wearing a blue tutu. She had a Fairy wings, and she was looking quite content eating a lollipop in the back of the car. Michael? There you go. All right. Jacqueline Robson, thank you for that in Carnarvon. In breaking news, Scott Morrison's just announced a $1 billion fund to support Australian startups who've been pioneering new low emissions technology. The federal government and private investors are splitting the cost. Innovative companies working in the field will be offered venture capital to grow their businesses, apparently, and develop and commercialise clean energy solutions. Unvaccinated NRL players are looking at spending a great deal of next year's season on the sidelines or even the sack for not being able to play or train. Tom Sakers outside Rugby League headquarters in Sydney. Tom, good evening to you. So we have a complex situation with different requirements in different states. What are we hearing about how the NRL might deal with this? Well, Michael, the NRL chief, Andrew Abdo, has remained steadfast on his original position that there should be freedom of choice for all players, but that has put the NRL on a direct collision course with both Queensland and Victorian governments. It all came to a head today when Andrew Abdo was in fact uh, trying to promote next season and the Queensland Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk decided to uh, have her own press conference at the same time saying that anyone who enters uh, government-controlled Queensland stadiums must be fully vaccinated. So that will be a mandate and that will include players. They won't be above the law. Uh, now, there are a number of um, major stadiums in Queensland which will be under these rules, including the Brisbane Broncos home ground in Lang Park, the North Queensland Cowboys Stadium in Townsville and also the Titans home ground uh, on the Gold Coast. Uh, there are a number of Queensland players in those clubs who uh, remain unvaccinated. About 24 in total in the NRL remain unvaccinated. One of the most highly publicised is Nelson Asofa Solomono of the Melbourne Storm. He's facing a similar situation in Victoria with the government there uh, mandating the Melbourne Storm's home ground that all people entering that stadium must be fully vaccinated as well. He's also facing a deadline to get vaccinated this week, his first jab this week, if he wants to return to pre-season training on time but the reality is that each club is facing a different situation based on the amount of players in their clubs who remain unvaccinated and which stadiums they play in. Andrew Abdo has basically left the responsibility in the hands of the clubs. Let's take a listen to some of what he had to say this morning. Whilst we haven't mandated vaccinations, we have been incredibly strong in educating and facilitating as many players as possible getting vaccinated. We will adapt to and adhere to the public health orders. And uh, obviously that will mean that the very, very small group of players that choose not to be uh, vaccinated will have to adhere to those public health orders. 
Now, clubs have been told they will get salary cap relief if they let players go, but the Rugby League Players Association wants to go much further than that and give players who remain unvaccinated eight weeks' notice before they could get the sack if they don't decide to get the jab or be uh, docked money uh, for missing uh, the certain amount of games. Um, and the reality is that Andrew Abdo will be navigating some very difficult waters unless he chooses to go down a path like that. And the, re- the harsh reality for NRL players as well who remain unvaccinated is that they could very well lose their jobs over this, Michael. All right, there's a few more steps in this to come, isn't there? All right, Tom Saker in Sydney, thank you. The public health orders, let's take a look rather at Australia's race to vaccine. More than 81% of the eligible population is fully vaccinated against COVID. 90% of Australians should have received both doses of the vaccine by the 11th of December. Here's the state and territory breakdowns. Almost 68% of Queenslanders are fully vaccinated. New South Wales has hit and passed 90%. 95% of people in the ACT have full coverage. Victoria is officially sitting at 85.2%. In Tasmania, it's just over 79%. Now, the rate in South Australia is a tick over 71%. It's almost 68% in the top end. And Western Australia, still the bottom of the table at 67.4%. Fully vaccinated Queenslanders know tonight what kind of life awaits them once the unvaccinated step up and get the state to the 80% double dose reopening target. Alex Lewis is across the details for us from Brisbane. Alex, good evening to you. So what restrictions will lift that point for the fully vaccinated? Good evening, Michael. Pretty much all of them, only fully vaccinated Queenslanders will be allowed inside hospitality venues, so cafes, bars, restaurants, clubs, and only the fully vaccinated will be allowed to go to entertainment venues as well, live music venues, uh, music festivals, theatres, public libraries, art galleries uh, and the like. Uh, The same will apply to any visitors uh, wanting to go to uh, uh, visitors at hospitals, except in emergency or end-of-life situations. Um, Vaccination will also be compulsory for people uh, visiting aged care, uh, prisons and disability centres. The unvaccinated will still be allowed um, to to go to shops, uh, everything from supermarkets to fashion retailers and on public transport, but their life will get a lot harder. Um, And if they go to any of those other places I mentioned, uh, they could be fined $1,300. While businesses will enjoy being able to trade at 100% capacity, uh, some have raised concerns about their staff having to enforce these vaccine rules and and being exposed to conflict with customers, um, as we've seen uh, with having to enforce the QR codes. Uh, Take a listen to Anastasia Palaszczuk. I think people want to be able to go to a a music festival or a stadium or a cafe or restaurant and know the people who are around them are fully vaccinated and it's safe for their family to go to these venues. Now, Alex, Queensland's about to hit 80% first dose coverage. Uh, Any changes to restrictions when that target is reached? Well, Michael, as soon as we do hit 80%, the mask mandate will be lifted, meaning Queenslanders will no longer need to carry these around in supermarkets or to hospitality venues. Uh, The latest data from Canberra shows that we're sitting at uh, 79.84% first dose coverage, uh, and that data, due to the delay in reporting, uh, is... uh, as current as of yesterday. So it's highly likely that if we haven't already hit that target, then we will do so tomorrow and that mask mandate will be lifted. All right, Alex Lewis in Brisbane. Thank you for that.
A 46-year-old man has been shot dead by police in the northwest Sydney suburb Seven Hills. Police said he was shot after a physical altercation and couldn't be revived by paramedics. A police critical incident team's investigating the circumstances around that shooting. And this landing textbook, as it may seem, was anything but ordinary for the team at Qantas HQ in Sydney. Hudson Fish, that's the name of the airplane, is the carrier's first A380 to return to Australia after being mothballed during COVID. The last time we saw a Qantas Super Jumbo in our airspace was 593 days ago and it was headed in the other direction. Most of the fleet sent to the California desert for storage. Pilots and crew will be retrained before the A380 flights resume operating around about April next year. Oscar Pistorius, who was convicted of girlfriend Reva Steenkamp's murder, could soon be up for parole with a condition. The South African Paralympic sprinter has to meet his victim's parents first. Reporter Mark Routon is in Cape Town. So, Mark, tell us about this rule. Does the Steenkamp family want this meeting? Michael, yes, it's been nine years since South Africa introduced this victim offender dialogue policy within correctional services. It's intended at uh, rehabilitating interventions for those who have caused offences or been committed to prison and hopefully help to change their behaviour prior to their release back into society. But also, very importantly, it's intended to place victims at the centre of the criminal justice system. And this is what is applicable to the family of River Steenkamp. And what it requires is for Oscar Pistorius to meet with the parents of River Steenkamp. And they are obviously still very, very heart sore about this situation. Uh, it's something that is still very raw for the family even though it's been eight years since Reva was murdered on Valentine's Day in uh, 2013. Now, the process requires that there is a meeting, but it also creates an opportunity for the family or for the victims uh, and, and the families of the victim, those affected, to actually have input and have uh, a representation and a say in terms of what the parole board considers when they consider parole for somebody who would then spend the rest of their time at home. He has yet to actually meet them face to face and apologize to them, which he has previously said he desperately, desperately wants to do. He's painfully, terribly sorry for what he has done. What's not clear is how River Steenkamp's family are going to respond to Oscar Pistorius's sincere pleas and requests for forgiveness. Mark Routon, thank you. All eight victims of a fatal stampede at a Houston concert have now been identified, with the rapper Travis Scott promising to pay for their medical expenses and funerals. Hundreds of other concertgoers were injured in the event, with a series of lawsuits being filed against its organisers. Entertainment reporter Ross King is with us now from Los Angeles. Ross, good to have you on the show again. Let's talk about this one first. So the organisers of this Astro World Festival, as well as the musicians Drake and, as I mentioned, Travis Scott, uh, they've been named in the various lawsuits. I mean, just how exposed is uh, Travis Scott in particular? Well, it is interesting because the FBI now involved in this criminal investigation, as you said, at least eight dead, uh, ranging in ages from 14 to 27, hundreds injured, lawsuits pouring in, absolutely pouring in, Michael. Live Nation, who were the promoters, they're saying that uh, there's no comment at the moment. They will respond at an appropriate time, is what they've said. Now, as far as Travis Scott goes, what people are looking at is not only what happened during the concert, because he didn't stop it completely. 
he did stop it a couple of times and knew that there was something going on, there was something wrong, but didn't stop it completely and kept on going. Uh, so that would be one question, why he didn't stop it completely. And also before the concert itself, because the police chief in Houston had actually gone to Travis Scott's trailer and said that he was really concerned about what he said was the energy mm. of the crowd. Because early in the day, uh, crowds had been pouring in, they'd been knocking down fences and barricades. And Travis Scott himself has got two misdemeanor convictions uh, against him for the way he has illegally incited his fans to ignore safety protocols in the past. So, along with that, I also watched some of the videos that were promoting the event itself. And they were certainly playing up on the chaos aspect mm. of things from the other concert that they had back in 2019. So again, this all could come into play in terms of inciting the crowd. Now, there is a festival this weekend coming up in Vegas. Travis Scott was meant to play there. He has yeah. obviously pulled out of that. Be interesting to see if rules, protocols have been changed for that. And as you said, he has offered to pay for the funerals. He's also offered to pay uh, for yeah. you know people if they're suffering from mental health in any way and also giving back all the ticket money to um, but it's going to be very interesting, and as I said, those lawsuits absolutely yeah. pouring in. There's going to be a lot more action to come, there's no doubt about it. Let's go to that other high-profile yeah. tragedy in the entertainment world. Alec Baldwin uh, calling on the police to be on film sets. Now, that comes weeks after he fatally shot the cinematographer uh, Helena Hutchins in that reported accident on the set of the film Rust. Um, Ross, what's been the response to this idea? What do you, he wants police officers on film sets to oversee these things. Yeah, I mean, I think it's been very mixed, to, to say the least. Obviously, everyone wants the film set to be as safe as it possibly can. Could this be a way? Um, Alec Baldwin himself on social media saying, every film TV set that uses guns, fake or otherwise, should have a police officer in set hired by the production to specifically monitor weapons safely. Now, the people that I spoke to earlier on uh, in the movie business, they've all been saying, well, actually, that is the job of the armourer, mm. who's also helped by the assistant director at times as well. So they kind of feel that that should be enough. Uh, but also, you know, we're hearing people like Dwayne The Rock Johnson saying now that any production that he puts on, there will not be any real guns involved at all whatsoever. Everything will just be rubber guns, all fake guns. So everyone doing their very best to make it safe. But it's an interesting one from Alec Baldwin. And again, to put that on social media, I'm not quite sure where we're going with it. No. As if American police officers aren't busy enough at the moment. But, uh, Ross, we've heard a lot of different stories from that set, a really troubled set, and many of them contradictory. Um, what is going on? Well, what's happening is it's really getting hard to unpick it all. And one of the main reasons for that is that everyone involved in it has now been, to use the expression, lawyered up. Yeah. So you've got all these lawyers all now deflecting as much as the blame away from their client as they can do. But still, you know, stories do leak out. I was actually hearing yesterday uh, from someone who said that they'd known someone on this set and they believed, and this hasn't been confirmed yet, but that Alec Baldwin actually fired the weapon three times. Uh, the first two, obviously... You know, there was, there was no problem whatsoever. And the third one had that fatal uh, mm. shot. The question, of course, still remains, and it's still the big one, isn't it? How on earth a live round actually got onto that set? Absolutely extraordinary that it did, yeah, incredible. It, it, it seems that it's a cursed set, probably not cursed, but poorly managed at the very least. Another crew member, in a bad way, bitten by a spider. Yeah. 
I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And obviously, there's no chance of them ever going back to, to make this movie. And as you said, it does. It seems very much like a cursed set, doesn't yeah, it? crazy. There's a lot more to be heard in this story yet, and you'll be across it. Ross King, good to have you from L.A. Thank you. Thanks, Michael. He's six years old and at the centre of a heated vaccine debate. Sesame Street resident Big Bird is being slammed, believe it or not, as a communist and accused of peddling propaganda, ruffling conservative feathers after a public message about getting his COVID shots. My granny bird says that since I'm six years old, I can get the vaccine. He's the world's favourite 250-centimetre yellow puppet that's become America's latest political lightning rod. But now you've got the government going around trying to use propaganda, trying to encourage people this way. What looks like a big pharma commercial on Sesame Street. It's up. so creepy. Big Bird sending US conservatives into a flap with a single tweet. I got the COVID-19 vaccine today. My wing is feeling a little sore, but it'll give my body an extra protective boost that keeps me and others healthy. The eternally six-year-old bird taking fictional advantage of new US guidelines allowing five to 11 year old American children to get the shot. Uh, I'm a little scared to get the shot because I don't like needles. Will it hurt? Republican Senator Ted Cruz, fully vaccinated himself, was quick to swoop, slamming it government propaganda for your five year old, tweeting this image with the caption. Big Bird coming over to vaccinate your kids. This is not new and Big Bird is influential, so I'm glad that Ted Cruz wasn't around back in the polio days. In fact, in the 1970s, Big Bird pushed this measles message. And there's a sign that says, don't wait, vaccinate. The Muppet with the backing of the White House. Good on you, Joe Biden tweeted. Getting vaccinated is the best way to keep your whole neighbourhood safe. Well, I feel okay. <laughs> My wing hurts a little bit, but that's okay. In the United States, David Woywood, 7 News. Welcome back. Just two years after the Prime Minister mocked the use of electric cars. It's not going to tow your trailer. It's not going to tow your boat. Bill Shorten wants to end the weekend when it comes to his policy on electric vehicles. Well, the PM appears to have reversed at quite some speed. Scott Morrison's revealed a $250 million plan to get more electric cars on the road. It'll see 50,000 chargers installed around Australia. He also just tonight announced a $1 billion investment in companies developing new low-emission technology. Let's bring in our panellists, Dee Madigan and Carolyn Overing, to, for, the, for their take on this and a few other subjects. Carolyn, let's go to you first. Are we doing enough here in, in these fields that the PM's talking about? I actually think the real uh, question and comment to make here is, I smell an election. Do you <laughs> smell an election? I mean, today was apparently the last day they could call an election for 2021, but it looks to me very much like they're looking for early 2022, yeah. probably a really short campaign. It seems odd that these two things have been brought up today, and they, the timing is about right, if you're starting mm. to think about what the public perception on these policies is makes me think we're looking for early next year but I, I'm wondering what Dee thinks she's a political Dee, strategist yeah, she Dee, will know. Dee has a wry look on her face like she knows <laughs> something Dee. Oh look this is absolutely just for an election but you know Scott Morrison took a lump of coal into parliament he's beholden to Barnaby Joyce and Matt Canavan he doesn't believe in climate change Barnaby and Canavan certainly don't so he's tap dancing madly because he knows there's votes in it but he's got to keep the Nats happy so he's giving money to funds and things, but won't actually do anything about it. Mm. 
Do, do these policies, do these come to anything today, the announcement of electric cars? I mean, I recall in the last election it was Bill Shorten early on who started talking about electric cars and then you heard the PM knock it all back. Um, it's an interesting move for him to make today, Dee. Well, it is. And he, what he's saying, oh, is, oh, the technology's changed. What a load of rubbish. The technology hasn't changed. The car manufacturers have been moving towards electric cars for years because they knew it made sense. But Scott Morrison had this ideological position against it because he thought it meant, you know, acting on climate change. And God forbid he do that. So, again, <laughs> this is just all about inoculating an issue for an election. Carolyn? Dee, that's a little harsh. <laughs> the reason that he's been backing in coal is because there are a lot of jobs in coal in Australia and we sell an awful lot of coal and it's very good for our economy to have a thriving coal industry. That's why he's been backing in coal, not because he doesn't believe in climate change and doesn't want there's to do anything jobs, about it. There's more jobs in renewable, particularly sure. in the future. We're losing renewable jobs overseas because he's been so slow to act. Sure, and, and it's certainly true that electric, uh, well, car makers have been moving towards electric because they can see the future there. But I don't think it's fair, Dee, to say he doesn't believe in climate change and that's why he backs coal. Carolyn, is he it going to be, Carolyn, is there going to be a climate change election or is it going to come down to the old-fashioned subjects and that is, you know, it's all about the economy and simple as that? Oh, Michael, you're 100% right. The, the elections are always about the economy. They're always about jobs. And they come down now, as we know, to individual seats. And at the last election, they were very worried about seats in Queensland and a lot of those seats were coal seats and that's why you saw the policies. Obviously, they can detect that there has been a change in the community sentiment towards renewables, yeah. otherwise they wouldn't be doing this. I mean, it is it is a political, political game, isn't it? I also noticed that Scott Morrison is in Melbourne today, which is really unusual. Like, why would he be in Melbourne? I mean, he's seen as sort of the Prime Minister of Sydney, really, isn't he? Going there and having his hair cut at the barber and wearing an Australian face mask. There is so an election coming. So moving on, Australian actress Elizabeth Debicki has been snapped on the set of the latest season of The Crown, looking the spitting image of Princess Di in that iconic little black revenge dress. It was a famous photo, an image. It comes as Jemima Khan quit the advisory role with Netflix, uh, the series The Crown, over the depiction of her former friend. Uh, Dee, the critics say it's time we let Diana's memory rest. Do you agree? No. Look, we're still making movies about Queen Elizabeth. Famous people will have movies made about them. I get why it's upsetting for their friends, but once you're in public domain, you're in public domain. You know, in 50 years' time, there'll still be movies made about Princess Diana. Yeah. Carolyn, what do you think? Is it disrespectful or is it just a fact? She was an iconic image. She's a part of history. She's always, her story is always going to be told one way or the other. And that was an outrageously good dress. That was a re I mean, all women should have in their closet a black revenge dress exactly like that one. Yeah. I think the point is that the, the image that we get of the royal family is not real either. I mean, we know that. We know that the marriage between Charles and Diana, the, the script that we were given or the story that we were asked to sell was, no, was not true. Um, so it does seem a bit odd that the royal family would now be complaining about the way that they're being portrayed when they have been massaged. Or, and their image has been massaged, in fact, by the palace for hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah. Obviously, the public now has its own outlets for that and they may not like them. But nonetheless, it's always been a bit of, as Steve said before, smoke and mirrors. I don't know if you've seen any of your roles, but I think uh, the Australian actress Elizabeth Debicki is going to be fantastic in this role. Absolutely. She's a great actress. Yeah, absolutely. Certainly yeah, has the height. She's 1.9 metres tall. She's an extraordinary, striking she, woman. Yeah, she was amazing in The Great Gatsby as well. She That's really true. owned every scene that she was in. She's a phenomenal talent. That really vulnerable character also, she played in Tenet too. I'm, Sorry, Dee. I'm, I'm not a fan of the royal family, but oh my God, The Crown is yeah. extraordinary. The, like the quality of actors they get, the production values, 
I, you know, I, I, I wait for each series and, and I feel a little bit sort of bad with my Irish background, but I love it. Now, moving on, Big Bird has caused... Who, who would have thought Big Bird would cause this sort of controversy? <laughs> but it caused a big stir among the conservative US set. The Sesame Street icons held a town hall on CNN after being criticised for supporting the COVID vaccine. Carolyn, Big Bird campaigned for measles in the 70s. Would we react differently to that now too, do you think? Well, look, I hope not, because Sesame Street has actually had a really important role to play in public policy. I mean, we can joke because it's a children's show and he's a big bird puppet. But at the same time, they've really helped Americans and by extension, all the rest of the world come to grips with all kinds of things. Yeah, they, have. they have previously done shows on same sex marriage and they've previously done shows on things like HIV transmission. And the responsible public messaging that they do is often hand in hand with the public health advice that they are given. They do take their role very seriously vaccinations do work. We are seeing that in New South Wales in particular, where COVID transmission has fallen through the floor and the, the number of deaths also is very low, with transmission today up over 90% for the double dose in New South Wales, a spectacular result. So go Big Bird. <laughs> yeah, and there's a real problem in the, in the US, isn't there, with the vaccination of younger people, D. So I think this sort of messaging from a character like Big Bird, and, and, and it's cut across all of the different um, you know, ethnic groups in, in America as well, is really important. Yeah, and I think this is one of those cases where we have to just be very careful with social media. We hear there's this big outrage, but honestly, if you looked at it as a percentage of the population, it's still tiny. They're just very loud on yeah. certain platforms. So it sounds like they have a louder voice than they actually do, whereas I, I, I hope and I'm pretty sure it's actually a really small percentage of people. Well, I do it every now and then. I go down a bit of a rabbit hole with some of their Facebook sites. And if you go on them, you think that they are a huge group of people that are motivated and well-supported. But, Carolyn, it's tiny, as Dee's saying, isn't it? It's a minuscule percentage of actual anti-vaxxers out there. That, you know, that's been the most heartwarming thing about this. Most Australians are incredibly responsible and really concerned yep. about the health of their community and their families and their loved ones. And I've been amazed, actually, because as you say, I thought there was a really hard rump of anti-vaxxers out there. They're really loud. They take to the streets. They make nuisances of themselves. They, they punch horses. They do all that kind of thing. And you think, wow, there seems to be quite a lot of them. But then look at the numbers. If you've got 90% double vaxxed in New South Wales, mm. and it looks like there's no stopping it they must be tiny in number well d to that point i mean take new south wales for example just because the rate is so high at the moment although act in victoria is not too far behind mm. i think act is above um and victoria is not too far behind if you look at 90 percent you've got the government state government in new south wales saying they'll get to about 92 93 percent and that's probably about it they'd like 95 there's a percentage mm. there that can't get vaccinated for a bunch of reasons medical reasons it leaves nothing doesn't it in terms yeah, of the it's anti a very, group. very small amount. And that's where your herd immunity kind of works. If yes. you've got, you know, over 80%, even, you know, the people who can't get vaccinated and those who choose not to, who we'll refer to as idiots, will still <laughs> actually end up being benefited by herd immunity. They're actually benefiting from other people doing yeah, the right it's thing. true. Although we might want COVID to come back if we have to go to the election because then you won't be able to go to the polling place. And also it'll mean politicians won't be able to come to your hometown with their little little stunts, their high-vis vests. Bit of selective COVID yeah, return just for a short I'm window, sorry, do you think? I'm sorry, we're closed. We're happy to go back into lockdown versus go through an election. Exactly. <laughs> if you're in lockdown, you'll just be served all the election ads. Is that what you really want? Oh, yeah, oh, no, well, no, that's no. that too. A different kind of torture. <laughs> Look, and those rates we know in Western Australia and Queensland will get up there too. They will. People of course, do the right absolutely, thing. Absolutely, they will. Yeah. All right, great to talk to you. A bit early in the week this week, but great to have you both on. Carolyn Overington, D. Madigan, thank you. Pleasure.
Thank you for your company this evening. From the team here at 7 News, that is the latest. I'm Michael Usher. Thanks for your company. Good night.